That text, Ben, that you read from 1 Corinthians 2.9 was absolutely appropriate for our finish to Romans chapter 8. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And, and so was your devotional playing this morning, fellas. Thank you so much. Um, I love the multiple, medley of multiple hymns put together. That was a tremendous blessing to my heart. Romans chapter 8. Um, the Spirit of God just directed our hearts to park here for a while. And um, you say, well, Pastor Tim, he didn't direct my heart. He directed your heart. Well, I'm just assuming we did this collectively because you keep coming. But um, we're going to finish up this morning by considering verses 38 and 39. The last time we were together, we covered 35 to 37. Let's read this text together. Um, if anyone needs a Bible, our ushers are ready to prepare and provide one for you. If you just slip up your hand, if you'd like to follow along in the scriptures this morning. Slip up your hand and the ushers will find you and uh, give you a text. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate who? Isn't that neat? He doesn't say me. Great encouragement to the body. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and we understand from previous weeks that the way Paul concludes chapter 8 is the same way in which he began it. Verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is probably the most classic text on what we would call eternal security uh, in this church, uh, in the Bible. In Christ, we are eternally secure. No condemnation, and we began this particular text of Scripture in verse 35, what or who is able to separate us from the love of Christ? And, of course, the answer is nothing. We'll see that here as we go on. We, some years ago, I believe I was in the sixth grade, um, one of the most uh, precious people in our lives, my mom's father. His name was Milton Hartline, and, and um, he had a heart attack around Christmas time. And uh, Christmas in our home, uh, my mom always sought to make a very special um, uh, holiday for us. Uh, we didn't have much, but she always did unique things to make it special in light of not having much. But this particular holiday was going to be different. Uh, we weren't going to be at home. We were going to be traveling to uh, West Virginia. Uh, my grandfather had had a heart attack. He was in intensive care. He was on the edge of breathing his last. And, and I can remember, because of his poor health, my, my grandmother didn't really even have a chance to set up her home and decorate it uh, for Christmas. Uh, I remember once we got to West Virginia, 
I believe it was Christmas Eve, my dad sat us down and he said, uh, kids, this is a little bit different Christmas. Um, we know there's no decorations and, and um, grandpa's not going to be with us long. Um, we don't have much uh, to give to you. Um, but uh, he said, we're going to pray and we're going to, to read Luke 2 together. And we're going to enjoy God's simple gifts this year. And um, so we prayed for Grandpa. He read Luke 2. And then he brought out um, one gift for all of us individually. And then one gift for us collectively as children. And they were unwrapped. They didn't even have time to wrap. (laughs) He had my mom go into the other room. She brought in a bag. And in that paper bag was one pair of shoes for each one of his kids. Um, thankfully, mine were canvas Chucky e. Taylors um, because I was in the beginning years of my basketball illustrious career. <laughs> um, so I got my Chucky e. Taylors, and my brother got a pair of Chucky e. Taylors, and um, I didn't really care what my sister got, but she, she got a pair of shoes, and I'm, and I'm sure for a girl she loved that. Um, and then my dad, um, the big gift out that Christmas at least by television marketers' purposes, was Electronic Battleship. Does anyone remember Electronic Battleship? I don't even know if that still exists. I know mine doesn't. (laughs) But uh, we thought that that was the coolest thing ever. So collectively, the three of us were given uh, an Electronic Battleship. You know, we got a pair of shoes and a game. But that that was a precious Christmas time to us. Uh, The trauma that our family was going through with, my grandfather brought us closer together. Uh, The gifts really didn't matter, right? Uh, My parents did everything they possibly could within their means to reassure our hearts of our love for them and God's love for us. And and really, when I I think of Romans chapter 8, that's exactly what Paul's intention is for the people of Rome, who he's never met up until the time he writes this letter to them. As a matter of fact, he has no certain plans. He hopes to meet them. But he has no certain plans to ever see them. But he wants their hearts to be reassured of who and what they are in Christ Jesus. And he goes at great lengths, as we've studied, line by line and verse by verse throughout this chapter, uh, to teach us of our security and the, and the assurance that we have that we're secure only Uh, in Jesus Christ. We love to sing a hymn, uh, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me What? Will Not Let Me Go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O crossed that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. This is the love in which we are secure. Yes, in Christ Jesus there is exclusive security. In him is a protection of divine certainty. This realm of spiritual assurance is granted to those who have turned from their sin and placed their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. Like the Romans to whom Paul writes, we live in a present 
society of physical and political peace. These words from the Apostle Paul would have fallen upon ears that easily grasped what they were being told. And they would have been easily encouraged as your hearts have been encouraged by what you've heard. But in a society society that experiences relative peace and security, we find it easy for man to create his own guidelines and spiritual measures of safety and security. In our culture, it never ceases to amaze us how the exclusivity of no condemnation comes to those who are in Christ Jesus alone is quickly lost in the minds and hearts of those who have embraced other societal, educational, philosophical, and or religious teaching to find their security. It's unique, but it's true. When cultures are in peace, it seems the exclusivity of life alone in Christ can easily give way to the relativism or moralism of every man doing that which is right in his own eyes in relationship to finding their own way to personal and spiritual security. Paul's words to the Roman believers in Romans 8 were exclusive words of what it meant to be secure in Christ alone, and he's telling them in their time of peace, There is no other way to find spiritual peace and security than through Christ alone. They were words that were immediately reassuring to them, but they were also words that were preparatory for them. As we've mentioned in weeks Prior to this Lord's Day, Romans chapter 8 was given to them in light of, in God's providence, what would be coming by way of um, probably history's most intense time of persecution um, brought upon God's people. There would come a time very, very soon when societal peace Political peace would be a mere reality of their past. As believers, they would be compelled by grace to individually and collectively embrace their reality in Christ like no other time in their lives. And the persecution from Emperor Nero would rain down upon them. And the more it would rain down upon them, the more they would find their way back to the reality of who they are in Christ Jesus' outline in this chapter. The society of Rome would endure through Nero's tyranny, an upheaval of societal, philosophical, educational, and religious peace. And it would would dismantle all previous ways in which the citizens of Rome sought to find their own peace in their own way. It would be disrupted by one deranged emperor was even responsible for the slaughter of his own family to get what he wanted. It's interesting, isn't it, when we're in a time of peace religiously and politically, maybe even financially. I know this last year for all of us has been um, 
unable to be forecasted, but yet a reality of even financial blessing uh, many times over than previous years. Whatever the reasons for that, that's not our discussion tonight. But, but I find it interesting if you reflect back to 9-11, right? And even to this past year with the natural catastrophes that the Lord's led our way, it's very interesting how man-made ways to find peace and security all of a sudden aren't trusted anymore. You remember the story on 9-11 after the Pentagon was hit where everyone felt unsafe in Washington, right? The most safe and secure people felt unsafe and it was not safe to be in a building. It was safe to be out of a building, remember? And you could, can you remember conservatives, uh, liberals, independents, they all gathered on the steps of the Capitol and they began to sing a hymn. Now we think about various ways to create and to bring our own synthetic realities of societal, religious, educational peace. Washington thinks they have all the answers. But in that moment, Washington had no answers. And all they could do, being made in the image of God, was to gather together, regardless of their differences, and lift their voices to one. Because man, even made in the image of God, who yet does not trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, knows there is only one that it can exclusively provide spiritual peace and security. And yet, they allow their sin. They allow their sin to keep them from him. But Paul says here, I am convinced, I'm fully persuaded, there's no one that can deter my heart and my mind from this. I am convinced, he says here, in verse 38. I am convinced that, that these things that I'm about to outline could never separate me from the love of Christ. This opening phrase of confidence expresses an exclusive mindset about the reality of security that only, and I know this might unsettle the hearts of some who may be guests, that only born-again Christians can know. Only those who have been made new by the grace of God in Christ Jesus can fully realize or even begin to compliment, comp contemplate spiritual security, eternal security in Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul will continue to describe here that can never separate him from God in Christ Jesus is not the realities of those who do not know Christ. I can remember growing up, we used to play a game at camp called Capture the Flag. And those of you that are familiar with that game are familiar with its rules. I don't know if the rules have changed at all, uh, but in Capture the Flag, there were, there were safety zones. And I can remember the way we played Capture the Flag, um, that there were only two places where you could not be, um, I don't know, we used to call it killed. <laughs> we were literally killing people, right? but where you could be uh, hit. Um, when we played Capture the Flag later when I was a youth pastor with paintball, you could not be shot with a paintball. 
gun in these zones. And though there was two zones. There was one zone right in the middle, and it usually was about 10 to 15 yards wide, and as long as the playing area, and you could be in that zone and not be shot. But once you stepped over into enemy territory, right, there was one other zone where you could not be shot or tagged or whatever it was, the way you used to play it. And that was when you were within the circle of where that enemy's flag was hidden, or if you were in the circle of where your flag was hidden. And so the whole goal was what? Get to the safety zone, to get to the military zone, to get to the safety zone, to get their flag, to get out, to get back to the safety zone, to manage your way back to where your flag was. And then the game was over and you were winners. Only believers, that's a practical, silly illustration to, to let us know that in Christ, there is nothing that can touch us in that spiritual zone. Absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, when Paul asks the question in verse 35, what can separate us or who? Remember, so that pronoun could be used two different ways. What or who could separate us from the love of Christ? He simply could have said just what? Nothing. Why the detailed list? Well, this is just the use of rhetoric and writing for uh, an author. He doesn't have to give a detailed list, but he gives it anyway to outline for us even more succinctly and clearly that there really is absolutely nothing that we can think of that can separate us from what God's grace has done in our hearts in Christ Jesus that we responded to. So what I want to do is I want to take these this final list of things or beings or situations, I want to divide them into three separate parts. So if you'll go with me and bear with me as I outline uh, these two verses, uh, I hope it would be helpful to your heart. First of all, the first few things that cannot separate us from the love of Christ are what I would call here life forces. Life forces forces cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Number two, spiritual forces. Spiritual forces cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And finally, physical forces. Life, spiritual, or physical forces cannot ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So where does he begin here? For I am convinced that neither death, this is the first life force. What's really interesting to me here, he begins the list with what we all experience last in this life. The greatest enemy that all of us have is physical death. When we breathe our last, the Bible tells us what in 1 Corinthians 15? Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said that he would never allow his righteous ones to see death. Well, what do we understand about death in Scripture? We understand that the Bible outlines three kinds of death. There's spiritual death. There's physical death. And then there is eternal death. What does that mean? If you are here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ 
as your Savior. You may know about him intellectually, but you don't know him personally. The Bible says that you are spiritually dead. You would be called the walking dead. Because your life, your heart has not been made new in Jesus Christ. You are dead, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, in your trespasses and your sins. The same text says if you trust Christ, it's God who quickens your heart and makes you alive in Christ. But until that point, the Bible says you're spiritually dead. You're the walking dead. There's physical death. The Bible says for the payment for sin is death. Why do we have graveyards? Why are we all facing, breathing our last? It's because we're all sinners. And the general effect of our personal sin and sin on our planet, our cosmos, leads every soul to that unavoidable time period in their life where they're going to breathe their last. Sin kills. Would you agree? Sin is the antithesis of life. Anything sinful is death. Even though there might be pleasure in it for a while, it always leads. It's terminal. Sin is terminal for us. All of us are in the process of physically dying. And then there's eternal death. This is, this is the final death that Scripture describes for us. Uh, the Apostle John outlines it in Revelation chapter 20. This is... After you've breathed your last and you lived this life spiritually dead, and you lived your life even sitting through a service like this saying, I hear about Christ, I say no to him, I'll respect him as a historic, uh, admired, revered rabbi, but no more, and you walk away, continue to live your life the way you want to live it, and you, you experience physical death, which is unavoidable. The Bible says you face in time eternal death. Your dying is not done. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 that you'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who you rejected during your time of earthly journey and spiritual deadness. And he will require of you an answer at that moment as to why you rejected him. And you'll give that answer. You'll probably bow your knee to him who you would not bow your knee to here on earth. And you would say, because I rejected you as Jesus. I rejected you as God in flesh. I rejected you as the only one that could bring me peace and security. And he will say, depart from me into everlasting fire. I never knew you. That's eternal death. But Paul says here to the Roman believer, that which we will all experience last in physical death, because you were made spiritually alive in Christ, and because you were made spiritually alive in Christ, you will never hear, depart from me into everlasting damnation. He says this, that even physical death itself will not separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Death is not for us a reality of mere terminalism. <laughs> it's a graduation. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. And yes, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Um, I hath not seen nor ear heard. 
what the Lord has prepared for those who love him and who are loved by him. I remember reading in a commentary in relationship to this text, the story of Donald Gray Barnhouse. Many of you enjoy some of his writings. Um, Barnhouse lost his wife in death uh, when his children were very young. And Barnhouse told of this story and coming back from the funeral with his little ones in the car. And his little ones were sorrowing over the, the loss of their mommy. And Barnhouse um, writes for us the memory of that drive home from the funeral and how um, a, a large truck was passing their car. And while it was passing their car, uh, the truck blocked the sun and cast a shadow over that car and then quickly passed their car. And as he was puzzled on how to encourage his children's hearts about the loss of their mother, God used that situation to explain to his children. He said, kids, did you just see that truck that drove by? Yeah. And, and did you see how it blocked the sun and cast a shadow on our car? And they said, yes, daddy. And he said, well, that's what death was like for mommy. It was a shadow. It came for a brief moment and it passed away, and it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. That's the shadow of death. And in that shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And he says here, life can't either. Life can't either. Paul mentions life here because life is always full of natural distractions, some good and some not so good. Previously in verse 35, remember some of those not-so-good distractions that life presents to all of us? Paul outlines them with detail there, and we won't go through those again because we've already done that, but um, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No, these things, as he goes on to say in verse 36, these are natural and normal things that all of us may face to some degree in our life. But there's none of those things that can, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here to the Roman believers that while life might tempt Christians with some distractions from time to time, and even some setbacks, that the grace of God in Christ that compelled us to love Christ will cause us also to persevere well unto the end of our lives on this earth. And really, how are born-again believers identified in the end of the day, as we say? Did grace compel them to persevere unto the end? That's a sobering thought for some who might say, I used to be faithful, but for months, years, decades now, I do church my own way. I, I walk with God my own way, and, and I don't necessarily need to do it according to the Bible. I caution you if you think that way at all. The Bible says here that there is a way that the Christian life is to be lived. 
You say, well, Pastor Tim, you don't know what that one Christian did to me. You don't know about what my one pastor did to his family and to our church. And, 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 and there's another pastor I went to after that, and he embezzled money from the church. And, and you know what? The leaders in the church, they're all fake. So I just stopped doing the church thing. I stopped worshiping collectively with God's people, as the word said, because there's no one to trust anymore. Well, I'm not saying you don't know Christ. But if you do know Christ, you'll hear this. Grace does not have within its family quitters. The grace of God compels us to persevere, not quit. The, The life cannot distract us from the love of Christ. Anything that life brings us should reassure us by the grace of God that that we're in him and should compel us. Folks, even our own sinful failures, right? Being reminded of the grace of God and the forgiveness found in Christ sets us back on our feet and compels us to persevere. Nothing in life, nothing in life can separate us from the love of God in Christ. What does he go on to say here? Another life force. Neither death, nor life, nor angels. You say, Pastor Tim, why did you put angels here as life forces? Well, there's two kinds of angels listed in this grouping of words. There's fallen angels and there's holy angels. This first word angels here is in reference to angels who are or were confirmed in what we call theologically creature holiness. Because when a third of the host of heaven fell, as the Bible tells us, and they were a party to Satan's heavenly mutiny, and they were cast out of heaven... Two-thirds that did not follow at that moment were forever, forever confirmed in creature holiness. Just like Satan and his minions were confirmed in condemnation and darkness to live there throughout all eternity, holy ones that decided not to go were confirmed in perfection. These are the angels Paul mentions first. Why do that? Why do that? Well, you think about how angels ministered to God's people in the scripture. And we don't have time to outline all those ways, but we certainly do know from the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter that these these angels ministered to God's people often unaware that they're being ministered to. These angels are instruments of, of, of physical protection. Physical provision. I could tell you multiple stories that I've seen and heard as a pastor of the way God's angels confirmed in creature holiness have ministered to people in this life, have ministered to me. I traveled back and forth to get my seminary degree in Detroit, and it took me five years to do that. I would leave at three o'clock in the morning I would go to class and I would come back at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I did that twice a week, often for five straight years. In the state of Ohio, 
Last year, there were more people killed on the Ohio Turnpike between Cleveland and Columbus, Cleveland and Toledo, by falling asleep at the wheel as compared to people who were texting or drunk driving. It's a long stretch, and you know it, you've driven it. I can tell you there were multiple times I could pull out of Cleveland, all right, 3, 3.30 in the morning, and I couldn't remember an hour of travel. And I'd almost be at 280, which is the circle around Toledo to go up to Detroit, and I was like, I don't remember how I got here. You remember Joseph Abraham, our missionary to England, and the Muslims for so long? Uh, I remember, do you remember the story of when they were in that accident near, just north of Columbus? And they're out in the middle of the cornfields, Delaware County, right? And there's, they're T-boned, there's corn on all sides, they can't see anyone coming or going, they just saw a stoplight, they stopped, they went through it, and someone else ignored it, and they got T-boned, right? And uh, chaos, right? First thing they do is to turn around and to look at uh, Joanna and their children, the two boys, to see if they're okay. And Luann told me that when she turned around in the middle of nowhere in this cornfield, there's someone stabilizing Joanna's neck, presenting themselves as an EMT worker. Within moments. Later, as she's transported to Columbus Children's Hospital. The doctors told us that whoever that was kept her from being paralyzed. A few moments later, after the emergency workers got there, that, that individual could not be found. No one even remembered seeing the person. I could tell you story after story after story after story. These confirmed in holiness angels do minister to God's people in physical ways. They do. Okay. And they would never do anything because they're confirmed in creature holiness to tear us away. And they could not because remember, they're created. They're not infinite. Even confirmed in creature holiness, created supernatural beings could not nor ever would think about separating us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. They wouldn't do it. Those are the life forces. Death, life, angels. Nope, not going to happen. Can't separate us. What are the spiritual forces? What are the spiritual forces outlined here for us? Well, it says here there's principalities, which Paul calls rulers, and other passages in the New Testament, specifically Ephesians 6.12, Colossians 2.15, and Jude 6. If you want to cross-reference those passages here uh, next to this verse in Romans 8. Principalities, rulers. It says here, next powers. And next it says, height or depth. Well, I think specifically here, all three of these are in reference to the one third of the host of heaven that fell with Lucifer. All three of these are in reference to the spiritual world. The words height and depth here speak specifically to the realm in which fallen angels exist. 
Do we know that Satan has access to the presence of God himself? The answer is yes. Do we know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air? 2 Corinthians 4. Yes. Do we know that demonic presence exists in hell itself? The answer is what? Yes. These fallen forever condemned creatures are in the heights and they're in the depths. They have access, though not omnipresently, but individually have access to all these places and these powerful fallen beings that have access to the even influence of global leaders, right? Daniel 9. They have access to not just political leaders, but law enforcement leaders. They have access to you as individuals, though they cannot possess you, they can certainly oppress you. Not even these creatures. With the limited power that they have, could separate us from the love of Christ. Satan could not hold Christ from the cross. The grave, death itself, caused by our sin, could not hold Christ in the grave. And Satan himself and his minions cannot preclude the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ at the blowing of the trumpet of God. They can't do it. I would never encourage anyone in this auditorium, any sheep of this flock, to be remotely interested in any artist, song artist in pop culture. Their lives are about dark things, and their music is about dark things, not just its content, but its sound. And living in Christ-likeness is the antithesis of the enjoyment of the songs of the dark world. One of those artists, Demi Lovato, it's a new series coming out on television. It's about her. It's, simply, it's called Simply Complicated. And being interviewed about this new show that's coming out about her life, she said, the purpose for my show is to tell its viewers that I am on a personal journey to discover what it's like to be free from all my demons. When I read that, I heard that, I thought, man, I wish, wish I could talk to you about Jesus. There is no freedom from demons without Jesus. There's no freedom from personal demons without Christ. But in Christ Jesus, in him, no demon can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No spiritual force can do this. I remember when I was a child, and I've told this story before, and for those of you that have heard it, I beg your pardon, but every time my dad would go away out of town on a speaking engagement, uh, there was a sect of the Church of Satan, which is called the Church of Set, that existed in Kirtland. And somehow... There may have been someone that we knew in that group that we did not know that was a part of that group that knew every time my dad was leaving town. And every night at 2 a.m., we would get a call at the house. 
and it would be a member of that church um, promising our death in the absence of husband and father. And they would call every hour on the hour until dawn, right? Just, and just terrify my mom and our family. Um, often we would, my mom would get us in the car and we would drive to a member of the uh, church. And I don't know if Mrs. McConnell's here this morning. Are you here? Remember, we would come to your house and find safe haven there when that would happen. And, um, but I can never, I, 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 I remember my dad returning home from one of these trips and this group did not know he had returned home. And, the, and they called at 2 a.m. And my dad picked up the phone. <laughs> if you knew anything about my dad's voice, right? Right? He only said one statement. He said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And they hung up. And they never called back again when he was out of town. <laughs> That's right. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even these dark forces. Amen? Amen. Nothing. Physical forces as we close this morning. Physical forces. It says here, nor things present, nor things to come. In other words, one author said, anything we have experienced in our life in the past, or we will experience in our present or the future. Don't even worry about it. Remember we said, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, verse 35? Paul could have just said simply what? Nothing. No answer to that question. It's nothing. But he goes out here and he says, even if you're worried or anxious about something you face today, tomorrow, at any time in your future, and any failure of your past or any success of your past, nothing, nothing in, in this time, space, mass continuum in which we exist can separate us. Because what God's done for us, God has done for us by his grace. And it is, uh, it is in reality for us a divine permanence. I can remember this past summer uh, visiting Kings Island with two of my children, my wife and uh, their aunt and their cousins. And there was a new roller coaster at Kings Island. And I loved roller coasters. I found out, though, that, though I had not been on one for probably over a decade, that the way my body would respond to roller coasters now is a little bit different than the past. So I was all excited to get on this brand new roller coaster at Kings Island. I got on there. And we were taxiing up this hill, and it was extremely high. And I thought for a moment, when we were just about, and my kids persuaded me to be in the front, right? <laughs> and what happens in the front of that roller coaster when you go over the edge and you're just kind of looking down, you're looking at death. <laughs> you're, you're staring death right in, and you realize how ridiculously stupid you are because you're trusting the bolts that were fastened by human hands. Right? Tracks and wheels that, yeah, this is the dumbest thing I could ever done in my life. Right? I can remember doubting this text that death could not separate you. Right? 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 No physical force, anything that we experience, past, present, or future. And it says here, no created thing. In case you were still wondering, there was one measure, one slim line of connection to something created by God or something created by man with which God had created. In case you were even thinking anything like that, it's probably not good to think that way because there's still nothing in that realm that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him against that day. There's a member of our congregation that's always encouraging me to sing his favorite hymn, And Can It Be? And we love to sing that. Because it begins with Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. No condemnation. Now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ who is my own. Claim the crown through Christ who is my own. No condemnation, no separation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, our hearts are just swimming in an ocean of your goodness this morning. And all that goodness is squarely sourced in our precious Savior, whose birth we celebrate each and every day of the year, let alone this holiday. We thank you, Lord, that by your grace, his birth and life on this earth and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his soon return was made effectual on our behalf by your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to love you because you first loved us in Christ Jesus. And we're thankful that no thing or no one could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. With our heads bowed, I beg everyone in this room this morning who knows of Christ but does not know Christ, to please understand how vulnerable you are to the eternal, deathly effects of your own sin. And to consider the noble, simple love of God and how he sought to rescue you from the effects of your own sin. He did it by sending and sacrificing his own son for you. He died your death so that you might live. But you cannot enjoy his life without accepting him and turning from your own sin and begging his forgiveness and trusting him as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that this morning? Condemnation is upon you, but in Christ there's no condemnation and there's no separation for all of eternity. Only through him. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. Those who are in Christ are on the inside. Which side are you? If you're outside, he is the door. Come to God through him. Turn from yourself 
and your wicked ways that have left you spiritually empty and insecure and throw yourself on the mercies of God in Christ Jesus and beg him to save you and do that now. And he'll hear you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, cleansed from all unrighteousness, forever adopted into the family of God, forever. And Jesus Christ will love you until the end of the ages and forever you ever claim you as his own. Turn from your sin. Trust him now. Trust him now. Thank you again, Father, for the opportunity to consider these eternal things all by your grace. And we thank you again for the security that we have in our Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name, amen.